Hello there. This is an incoming transmission from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to the Credible Nerds podcast. This is the podcast you're looking for. Don't go about your business. Stay here. Well, go about your business and listen. And then you can move along. Move along. And may the force be with you, always. Productions and the Credible Nerds present Star Wars Apologetics, Series 1, The Phantom Menace. Hey Star Wars fans, it's Justin from the Credible Nerds Podcast. I want to thank you for joining me here on Star Wars Apologetics, episode 13, The Final Battle. I do want to point out for this episode, we did have some audio problems where there's some echo in mostly my part of the conversation. And so I want to apologize up front for that. It is a little distracting and I've tried to fix it in post um, a few times and just can't figure it out. So I apologize for that, but the content is great. The interaction between myself and Harry, I think, is good. It's just the audio quality is a little distracting. So I, once again, I apologize for that. But hopefully, you know, you'll you'll be able to still enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to the Credible Nerds Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us here on this uh, series, this final episode of this first series of Star Wars Apologetics, also known as. Reasons why the Phantom Menace doesn't suck. And my name is Justin. I'll be your host, as always. And I have my fellow Jedi here with me, Harry. Hi, guys. So this is one of our final episodes here. Uh, We've come to the end of the movie. And as usual with Star Wars movies, there's a big climactic scene, a big, huge final battle. And it's no different with this film. Uh, This film is in chronological order it is the fourth star wars film released but in this chronological story order it is the first episode so if you're watching this series this saga for the first time this is going to be your first exposure to a an end battle scene in the star wars movie but if you're a little bit older and have been along this journey from you know early 70s 80s time period then this is something that you've kind of seen before. But for me, it was still different. Like in A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, there was a space battle and it was around the Death Star 1 and 2. But in Return of the Jedi, they they upped the, the drama and the stakes in that there was a space battle, there was a ground battle, and then there was a lightsaber duel on the Death Star. So there was three things going on at the same time. But with this film, we, we kind of get the same where there's a space battle uh, out with you know the Trade Federation on their ships. There was also a ground battle between the Gungans and the Trade Federation battle droids. And then there was also a lightsaber duel. But the reason why this is a, even a little more amped up than Return of the Jedi is that there is two Jedi fighting one Sith, Darth Maul. And that's something that we hadn't seen before up to this point. So it was pretty intense. Uh, Obviously, um, 
something that we hadn't seen before and we're just amazed that we were actually seeing this when it first came out. So it was fun to see Darth Maul with his double-bladed lightsaber taking on two Jedi with their single-bladed lightsaber. And this was something that was teased in the trailers and the, you know, the TV promos and things like that. So we knew it was there, but even then, seeing it in the, in the theater for the first two, three, four times, it was still pretty epic and one of the highlights of the film. So uh, for you, Harry, what, in seeing this play out for the first time on, on the big screen, summer of 1999, what was your takeaway? What was your impression of of this final, not only the final lightsaber battle, but the whole battle. Like, what were your first impressions? Um, it was just cool. It was, you know, like you said, you got the three parts, the space battle, the ground battle. Well, I mean, a fourth part, the, the assault on the throne room. Oh, yeah. And um, and then this lightsaber battle um, that's, oh, geez. The first time he ignites the second blade on his lightsaber in those trailers, he's like, you know, it's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he's a, a super bad guy with a lot of menace, and he seems extremely skilled and has a totally new blade weapon, this this double-bladed lightsaber. We've never seen it before. No one's wielded anything like it. And he's so good, he can take on two Jedi at once. Yeah, that was pretty epic. Uh, before, we, most of the, well, all of the villains have been Darth Vader. And, you know, he's part cyborg, um, part human. So he wasn't very agile, I guess you could say, in his lightsaber duels, at least in the films. Um, but this time, when Darth Maul shows up, he's doing flips, he's jumping, he's, you know, pretty quick with his... his um, dueling abilities and you know, his parts martial art part sword master so it was pretty intense watching him take on these two jedi obi-wan and qui-gon jinn at the same time and he held his own throughout the whole the whole duel yeah it was a much more athletic fight you know he's kicking he's tripping they're they're going level to level flipping all over the place and just it's a, a running fight um, it's it's not static like the other fights were, um, where they're slowly moving from place to place. This is, you know, I'm going to throw you over here. I'm going to chase you down. You're going to try to run away, uh, but you know we're two on one, so we're we have that benefit. But he, like you said, he's holding his own against two. Yeah. So initially, the battle starts. You know, they they plan. The Jedi show up back to Naboo and they plan, okay, this is our plan of attack. This is what we're going to do. Uh, the Gungans are going to create this diversion over here. And then we're going to sneak around the back and go up the side of the cliff and try to break into the throne room and uh, capture the Nemoidians. And then they're also going to send a, a starship battalion or starship fleet up into space to attack the... Um, the main droid ship, because if you do that, then if you destroy it, then it shuts down all the droids. So, you know, there's a three-pronged attack, and then it starts off. It is we get one of the cool, one of the coolest scenes in the in the movie here, where it's you kind of got this misty, swampy, foggy 
area, and then you just see the Gungans walk out on their their beasts, I think their kadus. They walk out, and it's this really cool effect, and then they kind of go out into the plane, and then the, the droid tanks come up on the hill, and then the, the Gungans have this shield, and the tanks start shooting the shield, but they can't uh, penetrate it. That whole sequence was pretty cool. The sound design was really good, and you're just, you know... For me, anyway, I was on the edge of my seat, like, oh, what's going to happen here? How are they going to break down the shield? And how long are they going to be able to hold the shield? And is it going to turn into a real fight? Or, you know, there's all this anticipation and just wondering what's going to happen next. So it was, it was a really well-designed um, sequence there, I thought. I agree. Um, I remember that the coming out of the fog was one of the first scenes you ever see in the original trailer. And you're just like, what is going on here? And, the, you know, you don't see enough in the trailer to know what's going on. And then when you finally see it, you're like, oh, okay. Um, and just the the organic weaponry of the Gungans, that energy shield, you know, the, these giant beasts carrying these almost mystical things. It's like magic almost that they're using. Because there's whatever the power generator is, you don't really see it. But they seem low tech. They're they're riding creatures. They don't have armor. Um, they don't seem to have fancy weapons. And you're wondering what they're going to do. Then all of a sudden, there's these energy shields uh, and powerful energy shields. You know, they're getting pummeled, and nothing's coming through. And the, the sound was cool, like you said. Um, you got to see that one on the big screen. It's just those energy blasts and the all of those those cool sounds are are just pretty awesome. It was. It was a powerful scene, and just the the contrast between the Gungans and the droid army, um, the differences of, of light versus dark at that point in the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, it was a great start to the final battle. Uh, it does cause the distraction that's needed. So the the Jedi and the other Naboo sneak into the palace, and the first thing they do is go for the hangar. And they, they get into the, the ships and start to take off to go attack the droid control ship. Um, and here we have our first deviation from the plan. Um, I think anyone knows that you create a plan for an attack and something, at least one thing is going to go wrong, if not the whole plan. <laughs> and here we get the first uh, problem that comes up. You know, Anakin's like, oh, I'm going to go hide over here while they fight. I don't even know why he went in the first place. <laughs> like, I don't know why he couldn't just hang out in the ship. But, you know, that's that's not a very interesting story. So um, he, he hides out on the side. He climbs into a starship. And automatically, it start, you know, he accidentally starts it up. And then he, next thing you know, he's flying out the hangar door to go attack the droid ship. So he's, he's flying out there. And it does provide a, a good reason for us to follow the the attack on the droid ship, right? You get his perspective, his point of view, what's going on, and obviously he ends up playing a major part in that whole sequence, that whole battle. And then he accidentally flies into, into the ship and is able to blow it up from the inside, thus, you know, shutting down the droids on the planet that were fighting the Gungans. So that was 
What did you think, think of the, the space battle? This is the first space battle we'd seen since Return of the Jedi. Um, it wasn't as uh, epic, I would say, as the Death Star battles. Um, those are pretty, in my mind, pretty intense. This was more, you know, 20 starships fighting a droid control ship with some some droid fighters. Pretty, not as, not as big as these other ones that we'd seen before. Yeah, it was a much smaller action. Just uh, so so many less ships, at least on the side of the good guys. And first, you're like, you know, how are they going to pull this off? Because the uh, N1 seems like such a I don't want to say weak, but under guns mm -hmm. and less robust fighter than a Y wing or or an X wing, um, and way under gun from like a B wing. Yeah. It's fast, but it's just seems light and and uh, less gunned than some of the other ones. Um, and uh, I don't know, for a time there, I was like, they're not going to be able to pull this off. They got to pull it off, but they're not going to be able to pull it off because they're just getting wiped out faster than they're doing damage to this big thing. Yeah. Until and then, of course, you know, Anakin shows up, and um, what better way to destroy a a droid control ship than taking out its main reactor from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for, for me, that scene worked. It was, I mean, the pod race sequence that we saw earlier, we talked about it in a previous episode, does lend credibility to young Anakin flying in this battle. You know, because in the pod race, we saw him doing pretty similar things, making similar moves. Um, you know, it, it, it led us to believe that what he was doing in this battle, he could do, I don't know, realistically, is that right word? But, you know, it, it wasn't far off from what we'd seen before. It was true to the character in my mind. Yeah, we'd seen him with the, the, the pod, um, everybody talked to him, you know, he had reflexes faster than any anybody else. And then seeing it, um, having seen the other movies, we know that people said that, you know, in, in the future, the best starfighter in the galaxy or the best pilots. Um, so like, even from a young age, he's got it. And we knew that he was using the force to, to help him anticipate moves and, you know, stay alive, basically. So that's helped out, too. So the, he, Anakin flies off, and after he leaves, the next, um, the next deviation from the plan happens where we see Darth Maul show up. He's got the double-bladed lightsaber in one of the most epic moments in trailer history, in my opinion. We saw that uh, earlier. I think it was, what, fall of... 1998 or so. So that's something I've been wanting to see from you know that point on until we actually saw it in the movie, and it, it delivered. Like you said, we have Darth Maul being very agile. He's taken on the two Jedi, and while while they're dueling, you know, Padme Amidala and her crew, they that's when they sneak around and go up the back up to the throne room, which like you mentioned earlier is another part of the battle. Uh, you could say it's a fourth part and they're able to dispatch the battle droids, take 
over in the throne room and, and kidnap um, the Nemoidians. And then that's kind of... Did, did that, uh, that didn't shut down the droids, right? What did that do? That just stopped them from taking command of the battle, right? From leading? It, um, from leaving, yeah. Um, now that they had them as hostage, you know, they could negotiate the ends of, of the blockade. Yeah. They had a position of power by holding on to them to, uh, uh, what, Newt's? Is that his yeah. name? Yeah. Gunray? Gunray, yeah. Yeah, so it's like capturing the queen in in chess, perhaps. Gives right. Big advantage, but this is, doesn't necessarily win you the game. Uh, so Anakin blows up the droid control ship. The droids, you know, stop working. They're broken, as Jar Jar says. Um, and then they capture New Gunray and his crew. So all that's left is the Jedi with Darth Maul. Yeah, this is where we get some pretty epic moments where Darth Maul is able to separate uh, the two so then he can take Qui-Gon, the more experienced Jedi, one-on-one. And this is where we see the death of Qui-Gon. Uh, he puts up a good fight, but there is... It's interesting when you rewatch it, when you rewatch it you know, over and over again, you know what's going to happen, so you start picking up on all these little clues... And it's interesting that he's quite gone. He's in the middle of fighting him there towards the end. And he just gets this look on his face like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm not, he's going to beat me. And he doesn't know what to do. And so he puts up his best fight and he gets tricked. I guess you could say Darth Maul has this move. He moves his lightsaber all the way and just stabs him in the chest, killing him. Not instantly, but mortally wounding him. So when that happened, it's like, wow, this guy's. I think it's good that, in some ways, it's good that Qui-Gon died because then that um, gives you a sense of how powerful this threat is of Darth Maul, right? It lends credence to him and his character, which in turn builds Obi-Wan up as well. So what are your thoughts on Qui-Gon dying and... That duel, how he separates them. Like, what do you, what's, what's your take on that whole sequence? I'll have to admit, the first time I watched it, I was shocked. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not, was not expecting a Jedi to, to be killed. Um, growing up, what, heroes. right. One of the big ones and this important guy throughout this entire film. Um, wasn't expecting it. So uh, I sat there in shock for a bit. Um, I mean, you know that Obi-Wan's not going to die because, you know, we see him as an old man. But still wondering, like, well, if Qui-Gon couldn't take this guy one-on-one, what hope does Obi-Wan have? Um, and uh, like you said, there's that moment where Qui-Gon realizes, I can't win this fight alone. Uh, this guy's very powerful. Um and there was just so much menace to, to Darth Maul there. Like, geez, this guy is as bad as they come. And, well, now he's a Jedi killer. Um, th- this is uh, a, a new level of bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting. There's this book um, that was released a while ago. It's uh, the storyboards for the prequels. 
And in, in, the, in it, the, the Phantom Menace is the most heavily addressed in the book. I think because it has the most storyboards, while the other two, there's a lot of digital scenes. So they planned out things digitally, but in the Phantom Menace, it was all, you know, these panels of the storyboard, which is kind of like a comic book. And so there's a lot of details in this book that ends up being cut out of the movie. And one of the things that was pretty interesting is initially George Lucas was, he was set on, the plan was for for Maul to kill Qui-Gon, but Qui-Gon was actually Obi-Wan. Like his name was Obi-Wan. So then he gets killed and like, wait, that's Obi-Wan? He just got killed. But then Qui-Gon was supposed to be Obi-Wan. Like the characters are the same, the, the persons are the same, but their names are switched. So then Obi-Wan or Qui-Gon at that time comes in, he kills Maul, and he's like, okay, I'm going to take on the name of my old master, and I, my name is now Obi-Wan. So, so that, it was to build up this, like when in A New Hope, Luke's like, I'm looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi, do you know him? He's like, oh, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Because at the end of the prequel trilogy, he was going to drop the Obi-Wan and just go back to being called Qui-Gon. So then that wow. That would be the reason why he hasn't heard it in a long time because it wasn't his original name. But it was too confusing. <laughs> so then he's like, eh, that's, that's a good idea, but yeah, we'll just confuse people. So we'll just keep your name Qui-Gon keep your name Obi Wan and we see it, how it played out. But I thought that was an interesting twist that he, he was trying to you know, build up that line or give credence to that line from A New Hope. Because I still am like, well, why isn't you haven't heard your name for a while? <laughs> you know, it still doesn't sit right. But he was trying to, to explain that, I guess, from the beginning. Yeah, so Obi Wan comes in, and I think at this point he's tapping in to the dark side. You know, he's he's mad, he's emotional, he's attacking full force against Darth Maul, and I think he does tap into the dark side a little bit, if not a lot, to defeat Maul. Or to try to defeat Maul because. At the end, you know, towards the end, he Maul is able to overcome Obi-Wan and, you know, have him down in that pit, and he's going to kill him. So, what do, you, do you think uh, Obi-Wan was tapping into the dark side? Oh, for sure. He was raging. Um, he was so angry when he saw Qui-Gon go down that uh, he lost all Jedi control. Uh, his attack was a little different than it had been before. It was far more aggressive. And um, just kind of threw his Jedi training to the side. And um, if he wasn't using dark side, uh, I don't know, you know, what he would have been doing. Because it's not like he learned a different form of lightsaber fighting. You know, he was taught to be a Jedi, but all of a sudden he's just hyper aggressive and, and really going at Maul. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's a, that's a really good idea in theory there. Yeah. I, I wish they would have explored, explored that a little bit more at some, some point. point. Um, maybe Anakin learns a little bit of the dark side from Obi-Wan in certain moments. And then Obi-Wan's able to overcome it, but Anakin isn't able to overcome it. But I don't know, it didn't play out that way. So here we have Darth Maul with the high ground, Obi-Wan in the pit. 
but yet he's able to use the force to pull himself up, do a flip over Darth Maul, and cut him in half. And Darth Maul falls down the pit. We see his body separate. We're like, oh, he's dead. Do you think this is related to the the duel that we see in Episode Three with Anakin and Obi Wan, where Obi Wan's like, "Don't do it. I have the high ground." As a way to goad him, or what do you think? Is there a connection there, or no? Um, I don't know. It it might have been some sort of muscle memory, right? I can flip over this dude and I'm in a position of power because he's surprised I'm higher than him. Um, I think at that point he was still trying to save Anakin. He's like, don't, don't try this because, you know, I, I, I'm going to put you down and I don't want to, Oh, you're my brother. You, you, you were the chosen one. We can, we can step back from this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was there was so much anguish in that. Don't try it, because he knew he was going to have to kill him if he did. Yeah, I think he he had the experience. You know, he flipped over Maul and cut him in half. So he's like, well, if he tries that, I can just do the same to him. Right. So I think I think there is a little bit of play, a callback in the episode three fight to this fight. I think there's some connection there. Yeah, so Maul, Maul falls down the pit. We think he's dead. But in the larger Star Wars story, he's not. He comes back in the Clone Wars. We see how that happens. Um, and Maul comes back as a, not a Sith Lord, but he's definitely, you know, using the dark side of the Force on his own. They're uh, using his training that he got from Darth Sidious to wreck havoc in the galaxy and he does quite a good job of that if you haven't seen the clone wars we definitely recommend that you watch it and follow the story of darth maul as he continues on and eventually there's a rematch between him and obi-wan on tatooine in star wars rebels that we see um and they're in that fight with maul and obi-wan there's a callback to this fight um maul tries tries to use the same move that he did with qui-gon but only one's able to, um, he's able to sidestep it. So, uh, Maul's story continues, and I think we'll see him. I think we'll see Maul in the the Obi One series that's coming up, the, the Obi Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series, because um, he's still alive at that point. So I think that we will see them again on a live action format, which will be super cool. Um, I remember watching him fall into the pit and come apart and thinking the same thing. Oh, that dude's dead. There's no way he survived that. But also feeling like disappointed because he was such a cool, menacing bad guy. I wanted to see him, this this great villain. I wanted to see him some more. And um, I don't know if uh, George Lucas underestimated like the, the, the way the fans reacted to Maul. And how much they they liked him and wanted more, and that's why he ended up in Clone Wars, or if that was the plan all along. Um, and I'm glad he's back because he is just a great villain and just a nemesis for for Obi Wan for years. And uh, it's cool to see him continue his story and and uh, tread a different path from what he was on as as a Sith apprentice. Yeah, I think. 
George, George Lucas did underestimate how popular he would be. I think he's made comments that it's like, well, if I would have known he would have been so uh, beloved by the fans, I wouldn't have killed him off. <laughs> but I, I don't see how you not see that when you're making the movie and just like, and then watching it in the editing process and everything. You're just like, well, he's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I think definitely died too early. I would have liked to see him escape or maybe get his arm cut off or you know, something. Where he's defeated, but he's not necessarily killed. Um, was something a little more believable than getting cut in half, but yet still alive. In the Clone Wars, you kind of just have to be like, okay, <laughs> I don't know how he's alive, but he's alive, so I'll, I'll go with it. Because yeah, it ends up being a pretty cool storyline. But yeah, if he would have, I would have liked to see him, you know, come back in episode two, um, wreck some havoc. I think. He, I don't think he ends up lasting through episode three, but definitely in episode two, I would have liked to see him come back, at least in the beginning of this, the story, but we didn't get that. No, but it would have been super cool um, to see him at least one more movie. Um, like I said, cut off his hands, destroy his lightsaber, and then he escapes know runs off jumps into a ship and takes off um, that would have been cool um, but you know he didn't like I'd like you I don't know how you could watch even that trailer when he lights both blades you know and he's in that pose and like how you weren't like holy smokes I like this dude yeah. how he didn't realize how much people were gonna like him and so that's what we got the final battle uh, the, the good guys win, of course. And then there's the, the celebration there at the end. And we do get to see how the Jedi take care of, of dead Jedi. They, they cremate him. So they have a ceremony. And everyone's there to commemorate Qui-Gon and his bravery. And we get Obi-Wan and Anakin together. And Obi-Wan tells them, you know, I'm going to train you. I'm your new master now. And I'm going to take care of you, basically. So and then we get the famous line from uh, Yoda. So Yoda says, always two there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. So that's where we are introduced to the rule of two for Sith Lords. And I don't think we got it before that, in canon anyway, in the movies. So we get a little bit of Sith lore here in this film. We get um, Darcidius, he's in the background, and he's pulling the strings, and we find out that there's just a master and apprentice. Any thoughts on this final battle area? You know, like, how did it, how does it play out, you know, 20 years later? It still has um, all that power, at least for me. Um, it's a big battle. It's it's on land. It's you know it's in space. It's Jedi versus Sith. Um, it's Padme showing her leadership and her combat skills, um, and it's just it's all woven together. I think really well. It flows well, you know, back and forth between the different pieces, um, and you see just a lot of desperation, and then the heroes being heroes and good triumphing in the end. And it's just a really good battle scene and fits well into to the Star Wars movies. 
Um, it's fitting. I've, and I guess that's part of one of the reasons why I never understood why people didn't like the Phantom Menace more because this whole end sequence, at least, is so much Star Wars all packed into that last little bit. And uh, just touches all the bases, meets all the needs. You see all the heroes. And uh, the good guys win the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, a lot, a lot of great stuff in this final, I don't know, 30 minutes or so of the film. A lot of good stuff. Uh, one thing I did notice is, as you watch it a few times, you, get to, you pick up on these things that, you know, the, the battle starts out, it's, it's exciting, it's new, everyone's trying really hard, and there's some success on the part of the good guys. And then it, the battle continues, and then... In all aspects, you know, the space battle, the ground battle, the lightsaber battle, uh, things start to go the way of the, the bad guys. They start to overcome the good guys and are going to beat them. Like, there's a point where Anakin's ship has died, overheated or whatever it was, inside the droid control ship. And the droids are closing in on him. The Gungan ground battle, the droids are able to penetrate the shield and get inside and are have captured the Gungans and they the Gungans have dropped all their weapons and they're they lost basically and then in the the lightsaber battle Qui-Gon gets killed and this all happens at the same time in the same moment you're like oh you know we went from this high oh the battle started and there's it's pretty cool we got this cool lightsaber fight cool starship battle but now the good guys are losing they might lose this this battle. And what's the one thing that changes everything? Is Anakin's able to destroy the reactor, uh, which shuts down the, the droids, so that they win the space battle, they win the ground battle. And you know, so they, they're able to win that war. And at the same time, everything shifts. Obi-Wan steps up. He comes in, defeats Maul. And so basically Anakin and Obi-Wan win this, this war, this battle for, for them. And you know, our heroes rise to the occasion. So this is the first time that we get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan be the heroes um, when no one else can. And we see that in the Clone Wars. We see that in Revenge of the Sith. And it's just, I think it's a great moment that pushes the story forward otherwise. You know, if Anakin isn't able to destroy the reactor, the battle's over. Even if Obi-Wan defeats Maul, he gets captured by the droids. So, some pivotal moments there, and we see our, our heroes step up and, and win the battle, win the day for them. Yep, I 100% agree with all of that. You know, the heroes step up, um, and we see the formation of Team Anakin and R2 um, working together there. Um, in that that whole space battle, but especially there at the ends, yeah. um, without a good astromech, Anakin's toast. Um, with R two, Anakin's able to destroy the reactor and and win two battles at once, and uh, ensure that um, it's going to go well for you know the for Obi Wan and and Padme and her team, and uh, so. It's yeah, like you said, it's the hero stepping up, and 
setting the stage for the rest of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even Padme steps up. I mean, they get they go into the throne room, but then they have to throw down their weapons, right? They get captured, but when the droids are deactivated, she's able to pull a gun out of the throne room, a secret compartment, and capture new gunnery. So even she's able to have an opportunity to shine as well. I was just going to say, you know, about Padme, um, you know, she started out as this pompous, overdressed uh, queen and um, then just becomes this uh, predecessor to to Leia. You know, definitely you see where Leia is going to get it from someday. That's uh, she's a, a warrior and uh, a thinker is able to put together a, a battle strategy that even Qui-Gon doesn't agree with, but um, is willing to take the risks to win the war and uh, steps right into it. She doesn't hide. She doesn't stay back. She leads one of the assault teams. And, and like I said, um, right there at the end, does what's necessary to, to make her part of the battle successful as well. So we get an introduction to like the warrior Padme, who we're going to continue to see through the rest of the movies and, and even more so in the Clone Wars. Yeah. So we want to thank you guys for joining us here on this almost final episode of Star Wars Apologetics. Uh, we call it Star Wars Apologetics because, you know, usually the term apologetics applies to a religious type of argument to defend a certain religious idea or theology. Um, But for a lot of people, Star Wars is a religion. I mean, in England, I believe it's England that, you know, Star Wars Jedi is an official religion over there. So, you know, some people do take it as as gospel in some ways. So we've decided to call this podcast uh, Star Wars Apologetics because for some people it is almost like a religion. And this is our, our efforts in pointing out the good things about movies that have in the past been maligned, like The Phantom Menace. Uh, if this is, if you've been listening to this series up till now, you've known that we've made a lot of good points about how Phantom Menace is a great Star Wars movie. Um, a lot of great things in this show. Uh, there's a couple things that maybe you don't like or don't jive well, but how many things are there that are good? And if you have if you look at the percentages, let's say there's 10 things, uh, you don't like two of them, but you like eight of them, that's 80%. So that's a pretty good score. I mean, I'd take those odds, 80%. If I were to go gamble in Vegas or something, I'd take 80% odds. You know, that's a good, that's a good percentage. So I think uh, a lot of good things about this film and in this uh, apologetics series We'll be covering uh, Attack of the Clones, Episode 2, next. And again, we'll cover a lot of good points about what we like about Star Wars, Episode 2. So we invite you to stick with us as we go through the saga. Uh, We'll cover Episode 2, then 3. Then we'll move into the original trilogy, which for a lot of people, um, that won't be a hard sell. (laughs) I think there's a lot of good things about the original trilogy. We'll definitely cover them in depth. Um, however, the younger generation, like my my kids, 
at least when they were, you know, young teenagers, 12, 13 or so. And I'm like, hey, let's watch Star Wars, and which one do you want to watch? And they're like, well, I don't want to watch the boring ones. <laughs> like, which ones are those? Uh, the ones with Luke and Han, you know. They wanted to watch the prequels because they're a little more exciting, a little more interesting. So I guess it's a generational thing. But for me, I like all of them, even the sequels. Obviously, I have my favorites, but uh, Star Wars is good, and I will continue to defend it on this podcast. So I want to thank Harry for joining me in this Series 1, The Phantom Menace. Um, He joined us a couple episodes in, but uh, he is definitely a great Star Wars fan with a lot of great Star Wars knowledge, so... I want to thank him for for joining us on this this series and going forward as well. I'm glad to be here. This is uh, it's been a fun a fun trip. Yeah. So we'll have one more episode after this one. Um, we'll talk about Jar Jar Binks, what we like about him. We'll talk about the soundtrack of the Phantom Menace, one of the greatest soundtracks ever produced in my mind, as well as uh, Star Wars in 3D. Uh, Star Wars was released in 3D for a couple months at some point and we'll talk a little bit about that and then we'll close out this series one so once again thanks for joining us on this journey and we'll catch you next time and may the force be with you may the force be with you all